Zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours! Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I talk to comedians and creatives about the best and worst jobs they've had to do to get by. Today I'm joined by the Dragony Ants themselves, Candy Warhol and Crystal Rasmussen. Mm, Hello. That's it. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> hi, lovely. How are you? Well, yeah. Uh, how are you getting through uh, lockdown thirty? We're okay. It's been it's been a busy day. We just um, we just sang at Joe Biden's inauguration, um, which was 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 such an honor when when Lady G and um, and Jen Pez couldn't make it. You know, we the two of us were delighted to fill in. So um, you know, it was just you know. such a good moment to promote our album, our forthcoming mm-hmm. album. Um, you know, which is, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's a moment. It's called Art Poop. It's going to be huge. It's sort of a scatological, you know, riff, disco riff, isn't it, Candy? It's a disco riff. It was, it's a two-parter. There's Art Poop and then there's Feed the Queens, which is a riff on Feed the World, you know, so it's, um, yeah. it's, an, it's an exclusive now, actually, yes. So really, you know, lockdown, we, uh, you know, it, it's not really affected us in any way. I mean, of course, you know, I've been, I've been living between my six Malibu mansions, mm. you know, you know, and as Madonna said, it has been the great equalizer, but I just haven't really felt that, you know, I've, I've risen above. No. Yeah, no. absolutely. Yeah. I haven't really seen a lot of that. I've been touring the world quite a bit. I know we are supposed to stay in, but I've been touring the world, uh, promoting capitalism. And, you know, I, I personally, in, from the five star hotels I've been staying in, I haven't seen any poverty. So I don't understand what people are, are talking about. Yeah, it's bullshit, right? It's, it's fake news, as my my um, uncle says. I love that we've taken. I love that we've just performed at Joe Biden's inauguration, and then also the far right. We already um, we'll we'll stop this now. <laughs> I mean, just a gig's disclaimer: a gig's it is not a gig. a gig's a gig. It is not fake news. Wear a mask. Stay home. Yes. Stay safe. Yeah, literally speaking to someone who was working in in a hospital. In a hospital, we, we will stop this now. No, no, it's that's fine. I uh, I like so I did I I never I haven't actually watched um the the uh inauguration yet, but didn't um Donald Trump uh didn't he uh his walk off music was the YMCA, which it seems sorry now. No, it seems like an odd. I mean, fucking love the song, but. <laughs> How dare he, 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 uh, he, he has been using that song at quite a few of his rallies, but I uh, originally thought when I saw that on Twitter that it was just a, a meme, like somebody that had imposed that in. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's because uh, of the lyric young man, which Candy and I actually wrote back in the eighties. Yes. And yeah. I think this is a lyric young man. Cause you know, the whole joke was that Joe Biden's quite mm. old, but you know, I've had sex with men twice Joe Biden's age, honestly. You have? You have. I have literally. <laughs> so you know, uh, it's what it is. That's the other question, is it? Do we do we think they'll live to the end of his term? Has he got four more years in him? I I hope so. I think there'll be a lot. I mean, the Queen's still going, isn't she? And like that's she a is. She is. I wish. How old, I mean, I, how old is Joe? He's in his seventies, isn't he? Like mid seventies. I mean, it's not that. You know, let's be honest. That's that not like old. that old. Like <laughs> no. ninety five. The Queen's like ninety four. Yeah. Very it's true. time to you know give up the throne, yeah. yes, <laughs> and also burn the monarchy. God, we're really yeah, we're just really going in tonight. We're flitting around all of those differing political causes. You know, politics is nuance. You know, it's not. I, you know, as Samantha Jones, my good friend, said, you know, I don't believe in the Republican Party. I don't believe in the Democratic Party. I just believe in parties. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and that's really Candy and I's take on it. Even though I would argue that I'm, I'm. I'm a left-wing Marxist, but whatever, let's move on. Let's go for it. I mean, currently we probably shouldn't party, but I mean, yeah, sure. Why? <laughs> yeah, How's yeah. lockdown for you? Very much the same as real life. Um, it, it's hard to tell what's lockdown and what isn't lockdown anymore, isn't it? To be honest, we're just, I don't know how we'll learn to cope outside of the lockdown. Yeah, I think when you take the sheer amount of drugs that you intake every day, Kath, it's it's hard to, you know, uh, tell what's real and what's not real, you know. Yeah, and that's how I like it. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> sort of in a third space, a liminal reality. That's what I, yeah, that's what I'm doing too. Yes. It's the just micro-dosing, micro-dosing bath salts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I ate my flatmate's face off, 
But you know, this is she does look good. Rock. She does look good. She looks. Mm, mm, she does. You know, she, yeah, she does. I, I did her a favor. I did her a yes. favor. It's what they would have wanted. Yes, it, 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 she requested it. She was on bath salts too, though. So you know. No, honestly, Stacey Salomon has never looked better. So good for you. Good for her. <laughs> so I suppose we should probably get down uh, to what the people paid for. Uh, I mean, I and I don't know who wants to go first. I'll open the question to the floor. What's your worst job been? Can I ask us a question about the question? Go on. Any job or the worst gig? Uh, I mean, either. So I'd say there are two questions and we're both very interesting answers. So let's do it. Let's do it. I can give you my worst job, but it was also kind of fabulous. Well, we start with worst yeah. jobs before we get to gigs because I haven't even thought of that. Mm. Well, my worst job ever, when I was a teenager, I grew up... I grew up in a place that you didn't really go to university. And if you were going to go to university, you were going to go if you could, and you were going to do something vocational. Okay. So, um, you know, you weren't going to go and do sort of like textile design, which is a beautiful degree, of course, which I have done three degrees of now. I'm a, I'm a doctor of textile design, but, um, it was either sort of, you know, nurse carer. And if you were, if you were doing okay at school, it was doctor, a lawyer or vet and um i wanted to be a vet and i <clears throat> spent a lot of my free time working in animal things and i had this job one christmas because on the requirements to get into university to be a vet it says you have to have the most animal 38 weeks worth of animal experience or whatever so i worked in kennels catteries abattoirs veterinary surgeries all of these while, you know, stables, I worked with everything, you know, piggeries, whatever it's called. And I had this one job, this one, was it Christmas or Easter or, or even later the summer, I forget, where I worked in a turkey farm and we had to masturbate the turkeys because at Christmas, when you're fattening up the turkeys, they become too lazy to fuck. But obviously you want to just get their sperm you know, and have turkey babies before they're sent off to slaughter. This is, it's really a lot. It's a lot, but you know, I lived through this. It's, I, this is literally true. And so you have to stimulate the little sort of nubbin between the back leg and you have to collect their sperm, put it in a tube, move it over, da 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 da. And it's sort of like a production line. And you could kind of do maybe four turkeys in, in five minutes. And I used to masturbate turkeys. Oh my. God. Wow. How old were you, Christelle? I must have been mm, 16. I only did it, if I'm honest, I, if I'm being fully honest, I only did it for like a season, which is like um, maybe every Saturday for a month and a half, like six weeks, maybe even less than that. Yeah. I mean, that feels like long enough. It was, but you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, you know, strength of character, efficiency. And if I'm being completely honest, I think I didn't hate the job. I'd say you didn't, girl. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to claim to, you know, like, want to, you know, get pleasure from wanking off turkeys. But I will say that I, I think I just say that because it's such, it's the most outrageous job I've ever had. But... You know, it was actually fine. Like, everyone was nice. The turkeys were kind of iconic. And, you know, and you were sort of feeling like you were doing something, I don't know, useful. The worst job I ever had was literally as a door girl in a cafe in, like, a gallery come art space, come, like, brunch place in East London. Because, you know, I something I've, I'm increasingly becoming empowered to say in my life is that posh people are are honestly the worst and the worst kind of posh people are the people who pretend they're not and that's Mm -hmm. the thing in east london you'll find a lot of people like in hagerston who are you know very much like candy or i kath i don't know you well enough to to comment on your background but you know who are very much like candy and i who are just working girls who are just like working girls and then you'll find the people who dress like they're you know, from backgrounds like me or Candy and who talk like that. And then you'll realize they own, you know, a four bedroom Victorian house in De Beauvoir and they shout at waitstaff <laughs> and they're the word. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was two years of that minimum wage, which is fine. You know, it's not fine. You know, everyone should have a, a universal 
higher wage. God, I'm really going into it. It's become quite serious. <laughs> but I remember once it was just awful assholes being like, my egg is cold. And I remember, honestly, it's so dark, but fant- it's the only time in my life I've truly fantasized about, about you know, committing grievous bodily harm. I mean it. I mean it. By, by being like, you, like, there are people that are dying. Shut the fuck up. Yes. Fuck you. It was so, yes. it was so ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, you know, and just realizing that people's problems are so stupid. And some, obviously, posh people can have problems. But anyway, um, and I, 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 I really had enough of that job when one time I was, it was heaving on a Saturday morning and I was in a floor length dress and high heels because I used to dress like the queen that I am all the time back then and this guy burst past the queue and I said sorry there's a queue like you don't mind just waiting at the back you know there's an you know a system and he looked at me and he called me a faggot on the (gasps) shop floor in front of everyone and then I said you're not welcome at this establishment you know I was wearing a tiara I was taking it far but I'm not saying I deserve to be called obviously it's it's my close personal homosexual friends and and then my manager said to me, you're not allowed to bar people from this establishment. And I was like, he just called me a fucking fag on the fucking floor. Anyway, so that was my worst job. And I just, I, I, I've never wished bad on anyone, really. Like Donald Trump and obviously like, you know, fascists and, and a lot of people. But I've never wished bad on anyone in my close proximity. And I wished a lot of time that I would just strike a match and watch the whole place explode. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how long my did you stay? How long did you stay there, Christelle? Oh, like two years. <gasps> two years. Because you know what it's like, Candy, you know, I'd moved to London yeah. with no familial support financially. I had a lot of, yeah. by you that time, what you have emotion. To do. Right. And so mm-hmm. I was, I was, you know, I'm a writer and a drag queen now. And I worked, you know, there, not even, I've worked there maybe four days a week. And then I spent the rest of the time writing, doing drag gigs. I don't know what, I do not know how we did it back in the day. No. Like I don't, I remember doing it. I remember once I did a gig on the, on the Friday and then I did another gig and then a third gig. And then I remember taking a shit ton of drugs and being up all night and mm-hmm. then waking up at six to finish a writing deadline for a magazine by nine mm-hmm. and then going into work for a full day and then getting into drag at the toilets at work and going to do more gigs. Now I literally, I, just, I couldn't, I can't do that anymore. How do we sick. do it? It's sick. It's yeah. honestly, but that's gig economy, capitalism, bullshit, isn't it? So yeah, that's it. I suppose as well with uh, the sort of creative industries, it's like if you say no, you're oh, you're that kind of person who says no. Oh, you're not really like oh, we won't ask them again, even though you're like I have worked you know a twelve hour day and now I'm coming here and uh, you know and people. Um, it's really sad that people don't appreciate how much you're having to do. You know, Kev, Candy and I have been doing this, what, we've both been doing it about a decade, right? Ten years, yeah. Ten years. Candy and I have been doing this decade, and I, this year, like last year, just before the pandemic hit, now I say yes to everything because of the pandemic, Mm. but, you know, just before the pandemic hit, I remember getting an email from a publication, a big one, that was like, can you write um, about... The, about homophobia and a homophobic attack. Um, da, 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 this stuff. And it was like, recount your trauma for 15, in 1500 words. And they're by big publication. I mean, like I, you know, I won't say who, but they're like, you know, I, 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 I if I say more, everyone will know what it is, but um, <laughs> basically, yes, it's the farmer's journal. It's horse and hound magazine. Yeah. <laughs> they said, we're a bit tight on budgets at the moment, so we can pay you £50 for this. And I said no. And it was the first time in my life, in my career as a writer, as a drag queen, as a performer, and, you know, as a, as a bikini model, that I had said no. And it was like... It's a very empowering moment when you when you know when you can say no. Because we, you know... There's times where we do anything for that 50 quid, like, but that, I mean, that is, you know, you just, you, it's, it's about, it's about knowing your self-worth and having self-respect and telling people yeah. that you're worth better than that. Right. The, you, you've yeah. hit it. Exactly. And then lo and behold, they came back with more money <laughs> and I said no, cause it was still too low and I was too busy. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. Candy, sorry. I've really gone on. Candy, what's yours? <laughs> 
Uh, to be honest, guys, I've never actually admitted this and I was thinking about this today and some people might be really embarrassed about this, but I'm oddly proud. Um, in, in 10 years, I counted my jobs and I've had 18 jobs. <laughs> now, they, they, I mean, towards the end, really, when the drag was taking over and I just became, fuck capitalism, I'm not working here and, you know, you're wasting my time. I just started walking out of a lot of jobs. I have some very dramatic walking out of stories and storming out of the place. Um, oh, my God, that's the dream, though, isn't it? It is the dream. And my God, girl, I'll get <laughs> to that story and it feels pretty fucking good. Um Thinking back as well, like my very first job, I, when I was 15, I was getting in quite a bit of trouble in school and, and I got, um, almost expelled because I, I was getting bullied so heavily. I was like fighting back quite a bit and my parents were like, okay, we're going to get him a job. And my dad worked, oh, like manages a supermarket. And, um, he called me and was like, okay, it's the first day of summer holiday and I have a job for you. And I suppose this is probably one of the most physically demanding jobs I ever had for like shit pay. I worked Monday to Saturday every morning. I would get up at half four and cycle about five miles. And literally all the men, like the big men would be doing their like deliveries. And I would just stand there in the freezing cold and rain and like tick off what they, what they delivered. And then an hour later, cycle all the way home and get paid in pounds. It would be seven pounds a day. So that was, that went on for three to four months. And that really taught me, you know, wow, my dad works hard. And like, I, it also gave me this thing of, I really like money yeah. <laughs> and, and like being able to buy things, you know, going out and using my pocket money to buy, you know, the latest tattoo or girls allowed single. You know, I was able to do that myself. <laughs> Okay, it is so weird you say tattoo because I was just going to say when you were getting expelled from school, that's when we released all the things she said. It's when we did that. And that was one of the big reasons why, you know, remember that video of of the two of us behind the bar (laughs) at my school, remember? And then you just started kissing me. But anyway, that was, that was, that's for another um, pod. Um, and then from there, I mean, I'm, I can't go through the 18 jobs, but probably some of the most iconic ones that I had, I won't name the places except this one because I don't think they're going to be listening. But I worked in McDonald's when I was 16 yeah. and I worked there for two and a half years. And it was probably one of the most, it, it was good in some ways because as a bullied 16 year old who was going to an all boys Catholic school, I had no friends. And then suddenly I was introduced to this working place where it was very diverse. And I also had a lot of girls and I've never told anybody this either. This is quite iconic. I came out in a McDonald's office to the cashier. <laughs> that is iconic. Yes. So she was like counting my tail at the end of the night. And she, she was also another gay. And she was like, Oh, you should meet my girlfriend sometime. And I literally was like, it's another gay person for the first time in my life. And she said, are you gay? And I said, yes. And we just became friends. And then suddenly, you know, all the girls there loved me. But as a working place, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And from there, I would probably say years later, one of the worst jobs that I had for me personally was just working in, I suppose in Ireland, it would be the, um, what do you have in, what do you have in, England that's really Selfridges Selfridges or Liberty yes I know this job you're talking about yeah yeah so Selfridges and I I mean I worked in one in one of their stores in my town and then I moved to Dublin to kind of focus on drag and I got a job there and I worked there for two years but it was I can't explain how how demeaning it was to be told shut up every day if I even turned to the other girl and I was was saying what time are you going on lunch you know you were told shh and stand there. And there was also nothing to do. And one thing that I think is important for everybody in their, in their job is you need to feel productive and you need to feel like you're adding something and you also just need good feedback. Whereas when you're told to stand in one space and you don't actually have any activities to do, um, and you're, I mean, we would do two finger spacing on all the clothes, right? And nobody might come in all day and your manager would come up and would say, you know, Evan, how are you going to, Candy, how are you going to make 10 grand today? And I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to talk to the wall and, you know, they'll pay, they'll pay for this, you know, Victoria Beckham disgusting dress. And then I would say, you know, there's nothing to do. And they would just push the rail and be like, just sort it out again. Oh. And it, w- it was just so infuriating. And at the same time, I, <laughs> I was, I was really, my, my drag 
SARS was kind of coming up in Dublin and I was going from one night to working four nights a week and then working five days a week in, in the retail. And I was, I never really partied in college. I was a bit of a nerd and I was, I was quite a bit reclusive. Whereas when I got to Dublin and I was doing all the shows and being offered free drink and drugs for the first time in my life, I went apeshit. And I would just go partying every single night, go to a rave and then stroll into work covered in glitter and be like, morning. And they would be like, you were supposed to be here at nine and it would be 12. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I thought it was, I thought I was working at 12. And by the time I got to the end, this is the first time I walked out of a job. <laughs> Not the last, but the first. And the, uh, towards the end, I just started getting so fed up and I knew it was my time to leave. And I also knew it was my time to leave the city. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was going to get out of there. I just went on an absolute bender for two days, didn't show up to work and just went drinking and clubbing and like had loads of sex and then strolled in and they were like, where the fuck have you been? And I just, I just said, oh, I've been really sick and I couldn't call. And then they brought me upstairs to give me like a written warning. And before she made me sign it, sign it, I put my hand on the sheet and I went, I'm just going to level with you. I'm leaving now. And she was like... What the um, fuck? And I left. And then I moved It's so dynasty. Cork. That is so dynasty. I love it. The champagne yeah. is burned. The, sh- <laughs> the champagne is burned. The yeah. champagne is burned. I think one of the what strikes you when you're talking about that candy is something that is so true for anyone who's worked in a job like this is that like what happens is you're like co-opted into this like when you're on minimum wage which back when we were both both working it was like 6.14 an hour or something like it's such it's such a little amount of money for your fucking time. Class is yeah. so bleak in England. I don't, I can't speak for Ireland, but I kind of imagine it's similar. And something I feel that is so bleak is that you're co-opted by managerial staff or by, you know, people at the top of a company to believe that you're part of a family. So you're asked to give your like emotional self to a job. Like yes. you know, we care about our customer here. You should care about what's around you. And it's like, fucking pay me, remunerate me properly, pay me, you know, 20 pounds an hour and maybe I will give you some of my heart. And when you're not, it's like a real moral judgment. Like, exactly. you know, your heart and soul is yeah. in this. It's like, do you expect my heart and soul to be in some fucking poached eggs? Fuck you. There's a lot, there's a lot of companies that do that. Am I allowed to name a brand? Yeah, do it, fuck or- them. Treat the staff proper if they don't want the names mentioning, won't they? Okay, like, well, like you're... Years ago, I worked for Ted Baker and I literally lasted three months and I was let go because er- when you join Ted Baker, you're given a diary and you need to keep a diary of your progress and like what working for Ted Baker means to you. So it's like being in like the scouts or something like as a kid and they really encourage, they encourage all the staff to mingle. Uh, the shop that I worked in, a lot of the staff lived together and I was just into doing my gigs and just like paying to get through my life. And because when it was brought up why I was being let go, that was one of the reasons that was given to me is because I wasn't part of the teams outside of work. And I was like, fuck this. Like, what do you want from me for 10, 10 an hour? Literally. Yeah. Oh my God. And also, Ugh. that is wild. Hilariously, I actually played Ted Baker's Christmas party. Like the actual. No way. Yeah, it, was, it was before, um, it was before, I think, wasn't he cancelled quite badly? I don't know that that that's that's years ago now, but um, I think there's just something about retail that unless it's like it's just, you're just kept busy and you you're working with nice staff, it's just it's never enjoyable. Like my, I think my decision to stop exactly what I was doing and and try to pursue drag full time was I was like really down on my luck, and the only option was to go back to retail. This is about five years ago, and I was offered a job as an assistant manager to this like good brand and i i only lasted there six yeah. months because you, you know when you just feel yourself falling into the same trap like i'm going to get this job and this is going to set me back to what i was trying to get out of you know i'm standing here folding folding scarves like in romeo and michelle and i'm not i'm not going anywhere and i'm dealing with these bitchy yummy mummies who are coming in and you know messing up the entire stock just while talking to like their girlfriend and then they leave their cold cup of coffee with you like do you have a bin like i can't I just, that environment to me is hell. And I remember I was, I said to myself and to my parents, I'm just going to do this for a year so I can get to London. And it was like, it got to six months and the job was already shit enough. And I was standing on the floor talking to one of the other guys who was also gay. And the the manager at the time walked past and just went, faggots. (laughs) 
Oh, how is this acceptable? He, 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 he thought that was funny. And like, I had to go in and on behalf of the other guy go like, I'm sorry, like you're my superior, but like that guy's not even out yet. And you've just like done that on the floor. And then I just left quietly a, a few days later. But I remember then sitting there on the laptop going, what do I do now? And I'm in this position again where I've left so many jobs because there's either homophobia, there's a problem in the workplace. And I don't know about you, Christelle, but like when that issue arises a few times it's very hard to explain to people and a lot of the time people will say are you sure this isn't something you're doing you know and I remember that's when I sat there and I just went okay like I can go through this all again or I can struggle for a while and just like put my focus into the drag and like yeah I might not have the comfort of you know thousands every month but like my god it's far more rewarding yeah yeah, it's about, I guess a lot of it, it's just like so bleakly about sacrifices. I just, I feel so repeatedly embittered by people just have a lot of money. But yeah. like, you know. I'd love to, I, I've always wanted to be like a Veruca Salt child where it's like, <laughs> daddy, I want a pony. I want it now. Like, I would love to be that. But at the same time, do we really want to be that? Like, we worked our absolute asses off. And no, you're when right. these jobs do come through, like your book, like us working for Comedy Central, those moments are like, yes, like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? I just feel like on, on the one hand, if you've got like, you know, if it is that you are loaded and you don't have to go to work and do anything, then does that give you more time? to pursue creative things or are you um do you just not have the sort of if you're not going out every day do do you have the do you sort of like lose the inspiration i I guess it varies from person to person right because yeah i don't know i think that i think also that yeah i think the fact i think the reason i left my hometown which i love with all my heart is because I'm gay, first and foremost. I don't think I'd really seen that there was, like, a class trap. Not that, there, not that like, I'm, I'm removing agency from working class people because people love to do that, but I hadn't seen that that's sort of, like... I just... I sort of left because I, I think growing up, I was like, there has to be somewhere more accepting. And then what I realized, which is so fascinating, is, like, you know, while, of course, I found definitely my people here in London and you know, and in Cork with Candy, but I found, you know, my people very much so in the queer community. What I also realized is recently I had like so much more like awful homophobia and transphobia Mm -hmm. in London than Mm -hmm. I did. So while I might've found like a, a gorgeous metropolis or what I imagine to be sort of this like glittering, sparkling place, which I do love too. You know, Candy, you saying that about that man on the shop floor calling you both faggots. I I just had this realization that like, I've had so much more homophobia in like liberal sort of workplaces in London than I had like working on fucking cow farms Mm. in Lancaster. Do you think that's because the population is just bigger when we go to other cities and you just, Mm. you just, you just run into more people because there are more people? Yeah, but I do, I will say, sure. But I do think there's this cultural misnomer that like cities are super left-wing and accepting and regional towns aren't. And I think it's just, and it's a shame because Mm. it gets a bad rap and like, and like, you know, maybe Jan down the spar in Lancaster who sells fags, cigarettes, who sells cigarettes, isn't gonna, isn't gonna, um, get my pronoun right. But also she's not gonna like call me a faggot on the shop floor because she's got that's, enough to do. That's a, that's yeah. a great point. And like, even, even over here, like, uh, in Cork or Dublin, like, I mean, I've been, Dublin, you know, is such a huge city and I've, I've strolled down Dublin just out of drag the way I have as well in, in Cork and people have screamed faggot at me. And then I, so I get, and then myself and my, my, I have a drag house. We might go to these tiny, tiny towns if we're booked. And yeah, there might be a bit of homophobia. There's going to be homophobia anywhere. But sometimes those are the places where we have the, the most warm and loving and open reception. And it's like a bunch of, I mean, the, one of the last shows that we did in this tiny town, this young gay guy and his grandmother came and I was just like I can't I can't I brought her up on stage it was just this gorgeous moment and like it's just so lovely to see that like it's it's yeah like just like you said small towns might get bad raps but like sometimes they're the most loving places completely because it's you know it's so interesting I'm I'm currently researching on a project um and I'm looking at sort of drag and trans histories from like the sort of um um like regency era or whatever and it's so interesting 
the accounts that I'm finding of like small, evidently what you would call now like trans children who who aren't. You, it would be like anachronistic to, to like name them as trans now, mm-hmm. then whatever. But like you have these family accounts of these like you know young you know drag queens essentially, and these super Christian super devout families who just loved the, you know, it's just, it's just the, almost the, the discussion of us and the gaining of our right. The, I love that we've gone from what's your worst job to be like the discussion <laughs> of us and the gaining of our rights is almost made as like people more, I don't know, more critical and more needing to know the name of things. And sometimes I'm like, you don't need to know my name. You don't need to know. You don't need to think of me. You just need to let me live the way I'm going to let you live. Do you know what I mean? And, and I find that so much more when I go home than I do in London. I find people in, it was, I was on the tube in drag, not this Christmas Eve, obviously the Christmas Eve before. And there was this group of, you know, you know, guys and girls, I don't assume anyone's gender, but they were guys and girls. And, um, they were all pissed and all the girls were obsessed, like with my makeup, with my drag, whatever. And they were all posh and all the men were being fucking homophobic and then this guy and all the girls were kind of not sure what to do and I felt for them even though of course I'm like you should stand up for me you fucking asshole but like you know male violence is sort of it affects us all and this fucking guy at the end got his dick out and took a piss on me yeah uh uh-huh and I got off the train and made some joke about golden showers whatever but I was like Oh, I was like, that would, n- if that happened in Lancaster, where I'm from, which would be written off as a way more homophobic place than here. It would be. Yeah. It would yeah. never happen because, I don't know, it's just wild. So anyway, That's that true. was what, my worst job was in a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> and he is one of the worst people in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure he probably goes to the cafe I worked at and complains about the eggs. Yeah. I wonder how, like, it's incredible that someone could have the confidence of their, you know, awful character to be able to Mm. do that. You'd be surprised, Kath. We won't go into them now, but Jesus, if we counted the amount of, like, incidents like that, you would just be shocked. Yeah. I'm so sorry that that's... it's it's horrible that that's what people just 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 don't ever piss on us, Kath. If if you know, unless we ask, unless we ask. No, I'll I'll avoid it. <laughs> Golden showers or death. But I do. Th- I think. Yeah. No. Of course. I also the 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 prevailing experience of drag for me is not defined by those people. Of course, no. you know, no. it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful freeing space in so many ways. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that yeah, that's the worst jobs done. <laughs> I'm obsessed, Candy. We really tangential, didn't we? we really tall, my love. Really tall, really yes. my love. Bring so it back, Kath. I feel like you had a story about worst gig because we. Yeah. I think I, and then we'll do best gig. As yeah, well. we'll do them quick, but um, just yeah. just don't talk about capitalism. Um, I know I, I well, I I think like as myself and Crystal mentioned, we've been doing drag now for ten years, and you really go through <laughs> some great gigs and some fucking terrible ones. Now, I I will preface it by saying. Maybe it's just because I can look at it, do say this in hindsight, but I do think some of my strongest hosting and performance skill set has come from the shitty gigs because, you know, I had to over- overcome a really bad audience. And sometimes, you know, you've shown up and there's like four people there and you're like, oh, great. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I have so many, but I will say a really dismal one was actually only just last year. And around Christmas time, myself and Crystal, um, uh, filmed season two of Dragony Anne's and, and I, f- I came home on a huge high. Like I thought I was the bee's knees. I was like, <laughs> I am the, that bitch out of my group. <laughs> and we had two gigs in a row and they were needless to say, absolutely horrific. And we, it started on, I think it was like a night or two before New Year's Eve. And that small town that I mentioned earlier, the one that we had like a lovely reception in, a town across the way, some stray guy was like, drag is making a lot of money in that town. I'm going to book this group, you know, to come on down. And we arrived and he said, okay, so we've actually cancelled the show, but we've put up these podiums next to the DJs and you can like dance. And I was, I, I took a step back and I was like, excuse me. I've come in here with like a set list. I've come in here. I've chosen the performers. They also like brought me in and showed me where the show was going to be. And it was this incredible stage. But they're like, no, we put you in the bar and put us where like people weren't expecting drag. So like all these women and men and they're anywhere from 30s to 50s were coming in for like a nice drink. And then he wanted me and the queens dancing on a box. 
so I was not having it so I said listen I'm going to stand in that corner and I'm going to do a meet and greet and people were happy enough to do that for two hours and then he was like please 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 go up next to the DJ just for like a small bit and I unwillingly because I just don't like to you know have like a diva reputation I just got up next to the DJ and like looked at my friend I was like this is shit I started dancing and then a woman in the crowd threw a glass at me and it like went bang into my face. I literally was in so much shock because, and the bouncers turned to me and instead of running for her, just looked at me to be like, oh my God, is she okay? I don't know what my instinct was. I leapt off the stage and ran for her and I had to be pulled nice. back. <laughs> I was like, don't you? <laughs> so anyway, she was escorted out and then they asked me to get back on the stage and I was like, I'll have my money, thank you. And I'll leave. So we left drove all the way back to my hometown and then it was New Year's Eve and this place asked me to run like a New Year's night and it was just me and a DJ and I was like, I mean, the place is going to be packed. Like, I mean, I just filmed that show at Comedy Central. Like, I'm, I'm like the queen. Three people came. Three people came and as the night, as the, as the, on New Year's Eve, as the night was progressing, every single other bar in town, because it's like not that big of a place, they we're all calling our bar and going, there's no one in our bars. There are people here with ye. And what was after happening was because our city had was so busy for a full week, everybody stayed at home and everybody had house parties. So my countdown to New Year's Eve on this show that was billed as my show was me, my friend, my friend who was doing the door and like three random straight girls who were just like out of their heads. And I was like, happy new year. And I was in bed for half 12. So listen, girl, you can, you can have that experience. And that, that honestly, to show you how quick it can change, I remember going home and rethinking, okay, I definitely need to move to London or like maybe I just need to give this up and focus on something else. And then a month later, I had a show and it was like sold out with hundreds of people. And we, it was probably one of the best shows I've had in, in years. And that can show you how fast that can change. But a lot of it sometimes yeah. is not down to you. It's just, it's just all chance, you know? hilarious <laughs> wild no I just the worst gig that sticks out in my mind is actually one of the gigs that I got paid the most to do ever and um it was amazing I was so like mm. sorry I'm just smoking a cigarette let me just stub it out in my ass. is that a motorbike next to your thing it is I'm riding a motorbike right now yeah. oh yes you are yes you're yeah. so um, cool alright I wish I'm terrified of them um, no the worst gig I ever did was the, one of the gigs that I got paid the most for and um, it was a Christmas party for an online poker company oh, and it was at the parties. and it was at the Royal Horticultural Society building which is like a beautiful building and I was there to sing and headline and host the evening and I thought oh my god it's going to be really beautiful so I prepared this really beautiful set um there was a grand piano and I got someone to play the grand piano and I sang lots of really beautiful songs and you know the show was nice it went down nice but when I arrived I was they were like I was like do you have a place for me to get ready because I've been assured there would be because I don't like to travel in drag um you know because of remember the piss story anyway blah blah and they showed me to they were like sorry we only have a toilet so I was like fine they put me in a toilet and there was a literal shit in the loo that was rising up and I said oh can is there something we can do about this they were like no there's waterwork issues so I was literally against the clock watching a shit about to fall on the floor and cover my makeup brushes anyway I got past that beautiful whatever I looked fine and I you know went up and down and I did my gig and it was nice and then I was said they said oh could you know can you can you like walk around now because there's going to be like live poker or whatever can you walk around now and it's actually quite a bleak story and I was like sure yeah you're paying me a lot of money I'm happy to do that Mm. and honest to god the number of men who like touched me so inappropriately so repeatedly and I said I went after like maybe two times I went and told the person who'd booked me and I said you know there's a lot of men touching me and I feel really uncomfortable about that and do you mind if I just skip this walking bit and he was like no no, you don't get your fee if you don't do the final part so I had another hour of this and I swear to god it was like so strange and it's such a weird thing drag because it can be the most powerful empowering yeah. <clears throat> empowering such an overused word but it can be such an empowering space for a, a queer person who has sort of been derided their whole youth for being 
effeminate or queer mm-hmm. or different. It can be like a place where some you're, you're literally being applauded for all the things you were, you know, bullied for in high school. It's kind of an incredible term. Yeah. But then it, at the same time, me and my drag sisters here in London, we always have this thing where I'm non-binary. I'm not a boy. I'm, I'm, I'm they, them. I'm, I'm they, them. But um, every now and then there's like this feeling where all of a sudden you're just a boy in a dress again. Yes. 100%. And it is those times, the corp, those corporate events, or it's those events where straight people, not to put you in a box, <laughs> straight people, it's, it, but it, it generally is those gigs where somebody straight has hired us yeah. and they think we're a clown or they're, we're their property because they've paid this couple of hundred quid. And it is a lot of those corporate gigs where they just ask a hundred things out of you or they just expect you to, to dance around. And it's, it's, it's so belittling. Yeah. But like I said, the night before, me and Crystal could have been at a at a gig in a beautiful queer loving space where we're uplifted and we feel like this is so communal. I like remember those days I was being bullied and now I'm like I'm I'm you know I'm I'm together like with my tribe and then the next day you're brought back to that bullied kid. You know it's 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 like wildly yeah. isn't it so funny it's like so Wild. humiliating. I it's and the so thing I felt <clears throat> you feel embarrassed and actually you feel I was like I feel so humiliated. It's so. I can turn on a dime. But then after that, I got paid the money in cash and I I took a cab home and Mm -hmm. I got my friend and I was like, I've got this money and worked, you know, it, it, it was, it was not like thousands, but it was like, it was like, I got paid 2000, which is crazy. And I was like, let's go to Berlin. And I just spent the cash. We just went to Berlin and we had the queerest time. I probably should have spent it on therapy, but instead I spend it on drugs and Bergheim. And that was fucking great. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? A euphoric, a euphoric therapy. I I will say because of those bad experiences, my, my anxiety is, is quite bad when I'm booked for a gig alone, unless I know it's in a queer space. And that's why. I will turn to a drag sister or my, one of my drag daughters and I will cut down my own fee and go, listen, I'll give you a third of this if you'll just accompany me in drag so that I feel safe. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's to avoid that or it's to go, God, this is shit, but at least we're together and at least we're both getting paid and then we can go have a drink afterwards. You know, but those are, those are the gigs that you have to learn to, to say no to, but you sometimes you just don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. You know, and also like just because you're being paid a lot, it doesn't mean that that person owns you in any. But they do, yeah. A lot of corporates, a lot of corporates really do. Yeah, feel that, and it's it's bizarre, but that's why you can sometimes when when you do get contact by by them, I will always double or triple that fee, and they can pay it, and you're like, okay, it's just, and it's out of that fear of this might happen. It doesn't always happen, you know. I've worked for Google and 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 Facebook and YouTube and done all on eBay things like that. You'll have the most lovely experience, and then it's just it's just one of those. It's just you know people getting too drunk at a at a at a at an office party or like their Christmas party and thinking that they can take advantage of you. You know? Yeah. Once enough. Yes. I hope that wasn't bleak, my love. We just talked about nothing nothing but bleak gigs. (laughs) Anything nice we can speak about? Best gig. Best gig. Of course. Less than in two minutes each. Let's do a best gig. Okay, my best gig is so specific. I've had so many really <laughs> life-affirming, life-changing gigs, and I'm so lucky that I've had that. But my best gig ever, I did Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2019, and I it was the I've done it three times. First two times with the drag troupe I was in, and then the third time alone. And it was it was 32 performances back to back each night, and it's really scary. And there's a lot of drama around the fringe, and everyone's like the fringe, the fringe, all this crap, and it's like really ugh. anyway and it was like show 28 and i had been i sing so i've been singing there's like nine songs in the show and nine passages from my book and then nine moments of comedy and it's all this the the question of the show was can a persona save your life and the answer at the end was like yeah sure it can't anyway and um and i you know as as performers i know we all feel this like this self-critic and this self-doubt and i'm it sounds really ridiculous, but I've been told a lot in my life that I can sing really well. Okay. And like a lot of people are like, you have a really beautiful voice. Have you? Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. Surprising. No, no. But like I ha- I would have a lot of people tell me after shows that I have a really beautiful voice. And I always like, thank you. Thank you. I like deflect the compliment. And then I remember it was show 28. I came off stage. I'd sung the show and someone stopped me and they were like, you have such a beautiful voice. And it was the first time ever in a decade of doing it I like fully for one moment was like I didn't say this to them I was like thank you but then I had this moment where I was like 
I do. I was like, oh my God, I do. Oh. And I had this like full moment of like pure belief that I could like do it and I could sing and I could do what I was really wanting to do. And then it went straight away after I was like, right, you hit a sharp, you know, in woman's work, you, you know, you were flat It fucking set you free. But for a moment, I literally remember this feeling washed over me and I was like, you can fucking sing. It's so weird. And so that was like the one moment I, you work for where it all is yeah. just like, yeah. And then it mm. went away. So that was probably my most memorable moment yeah. personally. Can and remember and, and remember that though, Crystal, because there's right. this, I think I think I think a, a lot of us do that thing where we can perform to a sold out show, we've nailed it, but then we go home and instead of going, I did so well, when I could have done this better, I could have done that better. You need to remember those moments and going, actually, I fucking nailed that. Yeah, you know. Um, I think for me, remember earlier when I was saying when I finally walked out <laughs> of that retail and I and I decided to pursue drag um full time i kind of looked at what was missing in my own city and there was not a lot of drag there was only one or two queens in you know this typical gay bar and as a one off i thought i would run a vogue ball for pride there was a lot there was a lot of people asking for something like that and the night that i ran it i i remember thinking has anybody even seen paris is burning has anybody does anybody know what to expect and I literally got there and the place had sold out and the uh, energy that was there was so incredible and people were evoking, people were doing drag for the first time. It was such a, a mix of different um, genders, races, age. And I remember just everybody coming up to me afterwards and going, thank you so much for bringing something different to the city. And that's when I went, I need to keep doing this. And then that yeah. turned into my regular drag show where I... I mean, I have 20 queens and, and kings like on my show and it's been three years now. We've got to do all these amazing things around Europe and, and like all over the country. And I have those are the moments where I go, look what you've, even though we might have still might have a shit gig. Sometimes when it really goes right and we're all just jumping around on stage together and I see there's a 16 year old in my show. There's like, you know, like girl, female, like AFAB queens. I just look around and go like. I've created this and this feels so special and this is why this is when I, wh- why you work hard just to give yeah. these people on stage and these people like who are watching the show this space this well needed queer space in this town um, I love that yours was like creating community and mine's like I felt like a good singer <laughs> okay can I can I actually give you like a really short story that's really bougie and I was like <laughs> so I think I told Crystal this three years ago um, I got a call and um, the the Irish embassy selected me to be flown to to Warsaw and Poland to represent um, Ireland and to lead their uh, pride parade, which was like 50,000 people. And it was like in the media that this Irish queen was coming over. And the reason they wanted Ireland to lead the parade was we had just obviously gotten the yes vote and it was like, uh, Poland needs this and look, it's achievable and and you can do this. So I didn't know what to expect. And (laughs) It's probably one of the most bougiest moments of my life, but I arrived at the airport and, you know, they were standing there with my name and I got into this big car and we were like driven through the city, um, to our hotel. And on the day, um, the, the past 10 presidents of Poland were having this meeting in the city and all the streets were closed off and there was armed guards everywhere. So we get to like the street and they're like, your hotel is there, but like all the streets are closed two seconds and he rolls down the window said something in Poland about me being on the back and the car the armed guards were like let her through (laughs) they drove me up this street and they drove me to the uh, Polish embassy and I was led through security and I had to meet like all the officials and I am there off the plane in a t-shirt and like trousers and I was like hi and like they brought me in and this is all documented in this documentary that they made and they basically quizzed me about like what positive changes I could like recommend and then the next day we did the the, the float and there was like 50,000 people there and I ended up on like the front page of like Vogue in, in, in Poland and like all these people were crying because they'd never met a drag queen before and like they were they were just like so excited and I remember getting into my hotel room and sitting down I went oh my god like this is why we have pride like we have pride because like these people were literally like there there was police all around us because people were trying to throw smoke bombs and like rocks and but at the same time you had 50,000 people behind us in drag for the first time holding their partner's hand for the first time being so like proud and open and I remember just going like, oh my God, like this, that was so empowering. But the being driven around and being treated like an A-list and everything was very good. 
Oh, I have one more actually to to not match candies. I love us. We just did so much bleakness. Yeah. Nice to do one. No, it's good to hear the good stories. We were me and my drag troupe were invited to perform at Glastonbury, and we were on stage and Florence Welch got up and joined us and we all sang Spectrum and that was Amazing. wild as well. That was like a similar feeling of like this whole room of qu- queers yes. all being like, oh my God, this is for us. And yeah. it was kind of, and you know, she's, she was, she's iconic. So it was kind of an amazing feeling similar to the both bougie feeling and also like, fuck, this is something that you never thought it would be. You know what I mean? It's just kind of Completely. Amazing. That's what I guess about to finish the whole thing off quite nicely and, and not to be cheesy, but when I met Crystal and we got Dragon Ants together as well, that was a big turning point for me where it was like, what do I want to do and where do I want to go with things? And when we did the, we did the audition and we got it, I remember sitting down with Crystal on the set and as it was happening, it was that kind of conf- affirming moment of, look, you can work hard and you can achieve something that you know, a few years ago wouldn't have been achievable. And then to share that with somebody who's, I mean, she is a bit of a bitch, like, but she would just be mm. so lovely. And we learned so much from each other. Yeah. Doing, yeah, yeah. doing things like Dragon Ants, that's like opened a whole world for me. And I feel like for me, that's besides my drag family, that's probably my best working experience because it's just opened, Same. you know, even the conversations Same. that we have backstage and like, it's totally, you know, and, and, the, you know, getting up at 4 a.m. at half four to do your makeup isn't easy, but knowing like, okay, I'm going to go into Crystal and we're going to like have so much fun and we're going to interview oh God, the cheeky girls. <laughs> we literally, it is so fucking fun. Oh my God, I miss it. Uh, I miss it so much. I'm dying to go back to things. Like mm, I just can't wait to yeah. gigs. And also, uh, Kat, we've asked you nothing. What's your worst ever job in two minutes? Oh man, I don't know. I, uh, I used to be a children's entertainer and it was so bad. I moved to London. Worst gig ever. Uh, it sucked balls. Um, but it's been a pleasure to have you uh, have you on. So lovely. Thank you so much for having us on. It's a, it's such a lovely podcast and it's such a great idea for a podcast as well because it's for people listening at home, you know, in, in a shit place in their life. They know that they can, you know, one day wank off a turkey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just one question that I have about that before we go that job. Um <laughs> How was it? What was the job title? Was it Turkey Wanker? No, I, I mean, I'm a turkey wanker, but <laughs> there was no job title. It was just like a friend of a friend of a farmer. It was like, come on right. down and do the Christmas. Style, would that not be like an iconic drag name? Please welcome to the stage, Turkey Wanker. Turkey Wanker. <laughs> but then I'd have to contextualize it every time, which I'm into. <laughs> Um, and speaking of things to plug, Dragon Ants, the podcast yes. is out now. Yes. And yes. Friends of Dorothy Candy's incredible podcast is out uh, now. And so, yeah, yeah my second book comes out in July. Eyes so peel. excited. Does it have a title, my love? It does. It's called First Comes Love on Marriage and Other Ways of Being Together. It's very Oh specific. my God. I'm so Aww. proud of you, Crystal. I can't no, wait to I'm read so that. I'm so proud of you too. I can't wait to, actually, I can't reveal the next guest on Friends of Dorothy, but I can't fucking wait to hear that podcast. I know. And Kat, uh, thank you so much again. Just It's just such a lovely podcast and you're such a lovely mm, host. Um, mm. Thank you so much thank for having you. us. It's thank been you. such thank a pleasure. For us. It's been so fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and hopefully we'll be back back on uh, I know <laughs> yes we could all do a you know interpretive dance pretending that we're working <laughs> off turkeys together absolutely yeah. peanut bouch I love it beautiful, uh, beautiful. Uh, all right have a lovely night you guys okay happy inauguration day